Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Rob Telson, Vice President of Worldwide Sales at BrainChip, on how organizations can mimic the brain using artificial intelligence. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Rob Telson, Vice President of Worldwide Sales at BrainChip, a global tech company that has developed artificial intelligence that learns like a brain. We're going to dig into what that means. Is it a fully formed brain? Yes. Whilst prioritizing efficiency, ultra low power consumption, and continuous learning. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Christian. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. I'm I'm excited to dig into this topic and uh, and joke around a bit. I like this like relax here. It's comfortable, conversational here, but we're focusing today on the science behind mimicking the brain. And I have some thoughts on this. Uh, so allowing artificial intelligence to be pushed to the max. So maybe well, why don't we start out? Uh, what's some of your background in AI, and maybe learn a little bit more about what Brainship is doing. Yeah, that's, that's a good place to start, Christian. So, so just to give everyone a, a good understanding of, of who I am, I, I'm responsible for sales, worldwide sales at BrainChip. Um, we are a global technology company. We uh, have our, our advanced research institute in, in Australia. We have a design center in India. We have uh, also design engineering done in Toulouse, France. And then our, our worldwide operations is headquartered out of uh, Laguna Hills uh, in Southern California. And uh, what we've done, this company was founded back in uh, 2013 by Peter Vandermaid, who's the brain, and Anil Mankar, who's the chip. And together, uh, they have almost 20 years of AI architecture uh, research and analysis into the, the, the technology of artificial intelligence. But what they did is they decided to specific, specifically focus on how the brain functions in that environment and how can we apply um, similar functionality to the artificial intelligence of today. And so what we've done is we've developed um, a processor, which we call Akita, and Akita is designed to mimic the brain. And so when we say that, um, current artificial intelligence and the way that it processes information today is done in an environment which has to process all of the information that it's looking at, good information, bad information. And by doing that, it consumes a lot of power and energy. And uh, to an extent that, you know, it's impacting the way that our data centers function, the way that we process that information. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's a beast and it's going to be even more of a beast. And so what we've done is we've designed an architecture that we call neuromorphic computing. And the neuromorphic architecture is focused on functioning similar to a brain. And what that does, if you think of our human brain and then the way that we process information is we're able to handle a lot of different functions at the same time, but take our energy and 
uh, proportionate based off of what we really need to be focused on. And what I mean by that is that right now um, you're looking at me. So you're using vision and you're consuming some energy, watching my facial expressions as I talk, I'm moving my hands as I talk and so on and so on. But your hands are rested, which means you're touching something. And they're either rested or you've got a pen and you're taking notes or you have a cup of coffee or whatever, but you're using your sense feel, feel or touch. At the same point, um, you, you might be smelling something. Maybe someone's cooking a really good meal, a burger or something to that extent, and you're using your senses there. But what you're really doing, you're consuming all your energy right now, listening to every word I'm saying. You're expecting me to give some type of nugget of information, and your brain's really consuming its energy doing that. And that's the way the neuromorphic architecture works. It doesn't process all of the information at one time. It is able to kind of filter through all the noise and know where it needs to, to function, which enables you in devices of the future and even today to focus on um, multiple applications, multiple functions, and be able to balance back and forth. So in traditional AI, you can break it down to zeros and ones. And what that means is all the AI architectures of today focus on zeros and ones. Zero times zero is zero. Zero times one is zero. Zero times a million is zero. But it has to go through all those calculations of zeros, which we call non-events. They're the same. It's a non-event before it can get to the ones and really focus on the event it's focused on. Now, with the neuromorphic architecture, it only focuses on the events. So immediately, it weeds out all the zeros. And it knows exactly what it's trying to focus on and, and for it to get a level of accuracy and process that data appropriately. And that's the difference. So when we think about mimicking the brain, we're in the very, very early stages of developing the, these architectures. And, and, and we're not the only ones who have developed a neuromorphic solution or are in the process of developing a neuromorphic solution. But we can proudly say we're the first to commercialize it and have um, chips available today, have our um, development boards available today, our development systems available today, and also intellectual property that you can license to semiconductor manufacturers who develop the uh, system on a chip and design in our technology. So we have a ton of different avenues in which you can get access to, access to this technology. And we're very fortunate because we have customers using it. We have customers that have validated it and publicly stated that, you know what, this technology, it works, it consumes less power, it allows us to achieve the functionality we want to achieve. So um, we're at the, as I say a lot, and the folks that know me have coined the phrase, but we're at the tip of the iceberg. And uh, we're just starting down this path and it's a very exciting time for brain chip. Well, one of the things I thought of is like reading through the profile and thinking about this, this topic. Um, so there was an article that I came across as trying to, I went looking for it. I couldn't find it. Uh, it, I, it was like in Wired or Fast Company. It may have even been the former magazine, uh, a Business 2.0. And at one of those magazines, it was a, a cover article of a, a, a the time. So this was like 20 years ago. Um, it was a Microsoft researcher based in San Francisco. And he was part of Microsoft R&D and was going through and he had like this little headset with a video but was essentially capturing every movement, every interaction. It was uh, synced up with like the office suite. So he'd create a Word doc or something, 
all of that in context with the chats, the conversations, everything that he did was being backed up and stored every day. And he had been doing this for years and years of, you know, cataloging and saving and making this content searchable. And the idea was uh, to, to go through and, uh, and save and catalog and have a perfect memory of all the interaction. At the time, so I've been in the collaboration technology space for most of my career. Remember at the time I was fascinated about the, the collaborative impacts to that research. Uh, the insights that we might be able to learn from, from that. Of course, most of the research that he was doing was more about the capture and some of that little loose, the contextualization of those activities. And, and I think that the, you know, the, we're really at that time, 20 years ago, really just barely scratching the surface of utilizing that. And you've, you've seen something like a similar thing. I mean, 20 years ago, the storage that he was capturing was extremely expensive. Now that cost has dramatically dropped down. And so what I find within my world, the knowledge management collaboration technology, the, the, the idea is let's save everything because we just don't know how we might need this. If we, if we get rid of this, if we, we go in and clean things up too much, but essentially you know, what, what you're talking about could revolutionize, could change the way both that we're capturing. Do we still capture everything or do we get smarter, more efficient about how we're capturing as well as then accessing that, that knowledge? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, what you've just said is really interesting. And I think the way I like to look at it, first of all, we need to emphasize that, that there are different aspects of technology and, what we're really focused on with Akita right now is what we call the edge device market. And edge devices uh, make up a, uh, right now it's predicted to be a $46 billion market. It's not a small one and it's growing very, it's growing dramatically. And when we think of edge devices, just for the listeners out there, what you need to think about are, you know, we think about wearables such as watches or a phone or a tablet. Those are things we can get our heads wrapped around, but edge devices also are electric vehicles and potentially um, unmanned flying vehicles in the future. Anything that doesn't require to either be plugged in or doesn't require to be um, uh, connected to the cloud to function, but you still want to apply intelligence to those devices and more intelligence as we go. So for those of us that have phones that have assistance on them, you know, um, uh, like I, I, I have an iPhone and I use Siri and there's times where Siri doesn't respond to me, right? Because Siri can't process at uh, either it doesn't have access to the cloud or it doesn't have um, the ability to process because there's too much going on on the device for whatever reason. Or it could be one of the, the home devices like a, a HomePod or a Google, whatever it is, or a, a, the Alexa. Um, when those devices are being used, they're taking the information, they're processing it through the cloud and back again. It might seem very quick to the consumer or the user, but the fact of the matter is most data right now gets processed at the cloud. What we're trying to do is change that. And what we're saying is, hey, with our product, um, you don't need to process information on the cloud. You're going to process it directly on the device, which means you're going to have a uh, uh, you're going to make things more efficient, more accurate, 
and um, more effective. Yeah, so, so you're you're only going to send that critical information, like uh, send the change of the information, not all of the the entire. That's correct. Around that's that. correct. Well, yeah. And so my first experience with edge devices was, I mean, a great example of this, working in the manufacturing sector, working with high tech manufacturing companies. And so we did a deployment that was in Japan and the Philippines. So I was actually went down to Manila for a couple of weeks and was helping with the deployment. And we were trying to provide is essentially what we were doing is providing like an asynchronous communication tool because they didn't have like they had like an old IDSL line. So they were very limited. And it was a shared line. There might there's like 30 uh, engineers sitting there and one cable to the internet and whoever needed it to pass their message, they would pass the cable down and plug it in. It just which is just crazy to think about. Again, this is 20, 25 years ago. But it but the much of what we worked on in creating these edge devices was exactly that. It was what was the critical information that needed to be passed along. And, and so it just, it was an asynchronous method of communication of connecting that manufacturing facility and the processes that they owned and passing along only that critical data that the home system needed to know the update, the status of that location. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's kind of we're evolving, right? So the way that we look at it right now, we're on our first generation of our product and we see the, the, um, the, the, the next generation of the product and the generation after that really enabling um, users and consumers um, to, to really apply artificial intelligence all the way to the, the, the device personalization to um, devices in the home uh, devices uh, like such in the vehicle, uh, devices in the industrial environment where you want the ability to recognize, hey, look, there's an orange on the, 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 the pick line right now, but real quickly, we've got a bushel, you know, a million bananas. Um, instead of using machine learning to retrain networks to, to change this, this uh, pick line out, which could cost thousands to tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars in man hours, to get the machine learning guys to get it right. You can do that on the fly with the device by capturing another image of a banana. And now the pick lines um, transitioning from oranges to bananas or choosing oranges or bananas or however you look at it. All the way to um, predictive maintenance through vibrations. So, so stepping back, we focus on um, five sensor modalities. And those sensor modalities, just like I kind of highlighted when I was describing how you were listening to what I'm saying and so on, our audio, which is hearing, and that a lot of AI is around audio today. Vision, which is using, you know, uh, capturing images and objects. And again, a lot of AI is around vision. But where it really gets fun is vibration or sense, touch, uh, where really AI hasn't um, made an, uh, an impact in our daily lives yet, but will. And then also smell. So being able to detect compounds through smell, gases, um, breathalyzers, um, disease markers, and so on, and then taste. And so uh, recognizing different tastes of things. Uh, so you're looking at these five senses, and not only are they going to impact the world we live in by um, the devices and applications in the work world, in the home, and so on, but also from a beneficial standpoint, whether it be medicine or whether it be the ability for those that don't have certain functions 
to be able to, to gain the, the ability to taste or the, the ability to recognize smell or um, from a prosthetic standpoint, vibration and touch and feel. So the, the, the opportunities right now are endless. Yeah. And so our whole goal is to proliferate our technology to as many people as we can to give them the opportunity to go design with the Kita and the, the, our, our software development environment, which is called MetaTF, and have them start to just get creative. Get creative with it, see what you can do with it, and start working with it. And we're really, really excited about not only our short-term future, but more importantly, our long-term future, where we're going over the next three to seven years is phenomenal. Do you have any like standout stories? I mean, again, I, the way you just described it. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested to hear if the, you have any customer like stories where they're doing something that, yeah, like, hey, we never envisioned that. Like, wow, that's just a different direction. Do you have any customer stories you can share? You know, um, the one thing about what we're doing, a majority of who we're talking to are their current customers and future customers. Uh, it's it's pretty secretive. Most I, don't. I imagine. To, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but I can tell you, um, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't have a conversation with someone in regards to solving a problem or addressing a solution, and say to myself, "I never thought of that." So we get to see it all, which is is really cool. But but um, you know, we we've been fortunate enough that to have. Uh, major automotive manufacturer kind of highlight our technology at CES this year and just, just to let the world know that this neuromorphic architecture is real and they're seeing the results from a, um, a power consumption standpoint uh, uh, that's five to ten times less. So they're saving that much power as they try to build out um, their electric vehicle line and, and the, the future of electric vehicles uh, to the point that, you know, guys like NASA have decided to use our technology to for image capture and other uh, dynamics that, that we're not really at, at liberty to share. And then we've had um, uh, companies license our technology uh, from an IP standpoint because they see the application can be used, whether it be in automotive or whether it be used in industrial applications or even personal applications for white goods for the home is the home as the home gets smart you know at some point um christian i, I don't know are you are you a coffee drinker no, not okay. at all. Yeah. Uh, do you like to look in your refrigerator and see what food is is worth eating uh, yeah so, uh, yeah <laughs> so eventually you know you're going to be able to walk into your kitchen and event you're going to look at your refrigerator it's going to recognize who you are as you walk up, it's going to know that you like, um, I don't know, yogurts or fruits or whatever, while your the rest of your family might choose to, to pick at other things within the refrigerator. And that refrigerator is going to have the capabilities to tell you uh, the, the shelf life on certain items. Yeah. Um, this is going to enable us in a variety of different ways. Now, it sounds kind of okay, you know, that's, that's very first world and so on, um, but it is, it, it is going to... Um, change the dynamics of our, our living scenarios dramatically and you look at the next five to 10 years. I'm a coffee guy. I'm going to yeah. walk in. My coffee maker is going to know when I'm in the kitchen. It's going to know it's time to make me the coffee. And by the way, it knows that I want my, my beans uh, grinded a certain way, brewed a certain way. And my wife's right behind me to get her coffee and it's going to know, nope, my wife wants it different. I was just thinking of it, you know, you have every grocery store that has these affiliate marketing plans. We're all part of these membership programs. They, they, they 
you know, spike the prices a bit so that, you know, they provide a little bit of a, to get the actual price of things. You have to be a member of that. And they're pulling in different, you know, marketing information. And, and as we all do, we all have it go to our Gmail account, which we never really read anywhere. That's just our spam account. Uh, but, uh, you know, for you sign up for all these different programs, but you have all that rich data that's out there. My first thought is the way you just described that about the smart refrigerator. There is an opportunity there to go in partner with those affiliate programs. And if I go and I, you know, I, I buy one of these smart refrigerators, I link it to my Safeway, my Walmart grocery, you know, card so that it knows what products I purchased. So I don't even have to walk into the kitchen for my refrigerators to suggest the age of the fruit that's sitting in the bowl that's uneaten there, that it recognizes what's in there, what I purchased, and can actually make suggestions. Oh, I'm going to go to the store on Friday based on my consumption habits, what I purchased last time, the amount of time that's gone by. It should be able to intelligently tell me what to go and buy to replenish those those common buys. Absolutely. You know, the funny thing is I'm, I'm kind of, uh, as we're having this discussion this last weekend, we have a slow cooker and we don't use it a lot. And I was bored and I said, you know, I'm going to pull out the slow cooker and I'm going to make something. So I, I, you know, went online on my phone. I searched slow cook meat, right? Let's slow cook something. And I found this app that had all these recipes for slow cooking. Now, this is the best part about it. I, I started to look in the, the, the refrigerator. I was looking in the cupboard and I realized I didn't have any of these recipes. And I was about to get a piece of paper and a pen. I found the recipe I wanted or, or the, 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 the ingredients, I should say. And I said to myself, I'm going to you know, go to the store and buy all these ingredients. On the app, it said to press this button to have these ingredients shipped to your house today, which means it, it connected me to a shopping service who did the shopping for me and brought the ingredients to my house for me so then I could, you know, do all the, 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 the work at home with the, and, and do other things and be more productive and so on and so on, which I did, by the way, because I'm like, well, I got to try this out. I mean, I, I'm that type of guy. If, it's, if it looks interesting, smells interesting, and it, it's kind of geeky, I got to try it. So, and it worked. I, everything came to me, and then I made, the, I made dinner, and everyone was happy. You know, one of the limitations of AI, just the real world implementations of AI, where it is for mainstream, uh, you know, companies now is that, I mean, it's it, it, AI, a lot of the automation that happens is very, um, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, line of like functional line and area, like it's like we do scripts and now it's just automating multiple scripts and go and do these things. I mean, I, 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 Along this line of this conversation, like I was just thinking, like it's like I am part of a, uh, a it's, I don't use it like as a dieting app, but it's just kind of I track because people are track are more aware of what they what they eat and, and do there. But I also do some planning around meals and things on a regular basis, and I'm starting running again. So I'm you know I'm trying to change my diet in certain ways as I start running more and more. I would love the ability to go in and do that planning for it then to know, then split that up over a week or over a month. And here's the, the list of things to do. Here's of what to go and buy, or like you've got that single click, Hey, want to make this meal. What, what about the step further? Like if I go plan out my month of meals for myself, for my family, that 
it plots that out the time frame for ordering those things and then orders so that they're on my doorstep you know the the week that are needed for each of those different pieces like you know based on my dietary changes i go in there and say you know i'm going to reduce my calorie intake it might automatically reduce the portion sizes of the recipes that i have lined up already within yeah. it i mean that that's that next step that is missing from a lot of these applications these solutions which you know are, are essentially a, an, a you know an automation of again like a single script or you know a list of tasks to go and, and perform but to do anything more complex you have to kind of add together your know, multiple automations to get that more intelligent solution we're we're far from the system being able to go and say well here's what we've learned about christian's dietary needs his purchasing patterns here and let's pull together you know let's anticipate what he's going to do and as the weather warms up his eating habits slightly change with the weather conditions less hot soups more cold meals kind of things but within the calorie within the you know the 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 health guidelines yeah the amazing the amazing thing in what you're talking about um if you go to our our youtube channel at at brain chip inc you'll notice we have a ton of uh, content and media then one of the, the the sections that we have on there was uh designed to enable the the investor, the user, the follower, the potential, I want to get involved with AI individual to see how the applications of what we're doing with Akita can be used in real life applications. And one of the things that we have on there is this, um, this section on exercise where potentially in the near future, you'll have the ability, Christian, to let's say get on a, ted, a treadmill that's got all this artificial intelligence designed into it, it's going to be able to recognize you not just by your face, but by your facial features and be able to determine, you know, um, your blood level, be able to determine your your. That's what I need. I, I need my machine telling me it's like Christian, yeah. you look like crap yeah, today. You, you, What's you, going on? You've definitely not been taking care of yourself. <laughs> and tell you, look, you know, it's going to take you three days because you went on a burger bender yeah. and to get back at back. Get back as long as it's in, in, in a sympathetic uh, voice that it does those things, I'd be okay with that. You know? Well, I think you can probably do that from the software side and you design your, your, you know, I would probably need mine to be a little bit more harsh and, and direct because <laughs> I'm kind of stubborn and pigheaded, but uh, you know, uh, yeah. So that technology, it's all, there's all these building blocks are, are evolving. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that's going on. I mean, I'm interested, you know, it, it, the, the idea of making it, you know, um, mimic like the actual, the, the brain functions. Like what was the, the difficulty in kind of getting there to where you are with the technology? Like what were some of the things that you had to go in and figure out to, uh, to, to make that claim? So I think that, you know, you got to break it down a bit and um, in order to function, the way that, that our product Akita is functioning, you have to take it in what's called a spiking neural network environment. Spiking technology means it knows what it's on when it's off. Again, focusing on different aspects, right? The traditional environment for AI is based off of um, CNNs or convolutional neural networks. And there's a ton of other types of neural networks out there. Um, but the 
it wasn't the ability to design spiking neural networks or function in spiking neural networks. What we wanted to do was commercialize a product that everyone can use. And in order to do that, kind of had to cross this bridge. You had to make it functionable for, for a majority of the machine learning world and the majority of where AI is today. And that's focusing on your convolutional neural networks or in the CNN world. And so what we've done is we spent a lot of time developing our software development environment called MetaTF. And through MetaTF, you can take a traditional CNN and you can convert it over to, to a spike in neural network environment. And it's an automated process. Uh, by doing that, it's an easy path. It's a bridge to get from one side to the other. And it's a non-threatening bridge. Uh, when you don't think about it that way, if uh, you walk into a room with a bunch of data scientists and you say, yeah, we're neuromorphic, they're going to say, well, some of them are going to say, that's fantastic. I want to learn about this. Others are going to say, I've conquered SNNs and I'm excited, but there's going to be a group that say, yeah, you know, I, I focus on CNNs and I, I kind of stay out of the neuromorphic world. So you really have to emphasize to them, you know, we've built this bridge to make it uh, an automated flow for you. And uh, the team has spent a lot of time um, architecting that and doing that to, to an extent that uh, everyone that uses our MetaTF is, is really excited about, wow, you've kind of opened up this new world for us to work with. You know, I, I was in a, uh, a, 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 there was a user group, um, like, well, I guess a post user group get together at a local pub in uh, Helsinki uh, a few years back. And there got to be a heated argument and it really got to be like you know, the two sides of the room talking about the, you know, the future of, of AI. And you had, um, uh, so I, the argument started between myself and another uh, a, a really nice guy, um, but I just, uh, neither of us was changing on it, on, uh, on how, you know, the AI would essentially replace majority of the things that we do in work. Uh, and that we would then, you know, part of his argument, I, and I, and what my, my statement then was like, look, I'm not going to put a timeline on that. I understand that the majority of things that we're doing is information workers and things that will largely, there'll be a lot of automation. There'll be other things which we can't even envision today where there'll be other work. I don't think it just is a, you know, it replaces our work and our jobs and then we're out of work. Um, the second half of his equation was that, oh yeah, then humanity would be living in luxury because uh, AI and robots would be doing everything. And I'm just like, wow, you don't understand human nature. Like that would never, that would happen for a small totally agree. number of people. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the idea of like the singularity, I guess that's my question. Uh, Rob, when is the singularity going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, I've been asked this question on, on, on other podcasts as well. And, and I like to look at it a little bit differently and just say, um, you can't train AI engine on emotion and irrational decision-making. Mm. Yeah. Human beings thrive off emotion and we thrive off irrational decisions. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, perfect example, you're looking at me right now in, in my home office, it's not my home office, it's a guest bedroom, and with headphones on, which is traditionally not where I'm at, because 
you know, we closed our office down for a little bit. And I've got my mic and I've got all my stuff there and, and so on. AI wouldn't have been able to predict that at the last minute, we're going to close something down. I've got to make an adjustment. I've got to figure out how to get, put myself in a presentable situation and so on. That's the human nature aspect of it. That can't be computed. Another way that I've described that to what you're talking about, the senses previously is how much memory you think about one of the most powerful memory uh, triggers is your sense of smell. Like I've like smell cologne and it makes me think of, you know, that was my grandfather's cologne. I've not smelled that in 20 years, you know, but it then brings this rush of, I completely forgot about it. And I remember this, this thing. And so a lot of, because you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of the, I just kind of always termed it as like that, that asynchronous recall, you know, of is, is triggered by things which don't make sense to that line item of, of scripts of tasks uh, that we program a lot of AI to go and do and run through yeah. it. There's just as to your point, there's no rhyme or reason why that might remind us of something like a smell or a taste of something trigger a memory of our childhood, which could inspire us into a completely different direction, which you would never be able to draw that conclusion based on the contextual activities that just happened, the project, the conversation, the visuals, all the things that are around my current environment are irrelevant because it transported me back to that old memory, which yeah. took me on a completely different path. Just, just think about what I just said. I just talked about the fact that I, I looked in a, a cabinet, I found a slow cooker, I pulled the slow cooker out, I came up with this great idea to do meat, not chicken, not fish, but meat. Then I went, you know, and all of those types of things were just done. All of them were irrational. Everything was done, not, you know, predicted. There was, there was no predicted component that, you know, you could have predicted that I was going to go look in the cabinet on the right, the cabinet on the left, decide to pull an app, um, um, uh, you know, some type of appliance out, decide then to say, let's do this now. Right. And so on and so on and so on. So I, I look at that and I say, there's a lot of great things we'll do with AI. And the, the, the exciting thing for us at BrainChip, we're going to be a part of that. And we're really, 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 really pumped up for that. But when people ask me, you know, when does it turn? Um, you know, there's two ways I answer this. Number one is I don't think it will. Yeah, there's going to be things that, that, that we're going to use AI for and we're going to become more dependent upon that. Um, but I, I don't see it just destroying humanity or anything to that extent. But I also think we have our own human responsibility. And I love to use the analogy, and I, again, use this in another discussion I had. Um, over the holidays, I had all, my whole family home, and I had all my kids home, and my kids from college and so on. And I, we had dinner together. We all sat down. We watched a movie. And I looked around, including myself. We were all on our phones. We were all standing out. Now, me, I'm sure I was doing something really, really important, you know, and maybe my kids would say they were doing something important too. And maybe my wife was, was saying she was doing something. But the fact was, you know, there's a really good movie on. Now, we ended up watching the whole movie and, we, you know, we enjoyed our time together. But it, there, there's a human element of we, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to say, okay, you know, how we use technology is really up to us. 
And, um, it, you know, that's the part of technology as we evolve. That's the part that how AI gets incorporated into to our everyday lives or in collaboration for work world or however you look at it. Um, it's like anything else. We, we have our own responsibility of how we approach things and uh, take it from there. But when people ask me, you know, will it destroy the world or anything to that extent? No, no, it, it won't. It will make, you know, they'll make some decision making a lot easier. And maybe it will make me say um, in my vehicle one day when it says, you know, uh, you're hungry and there's a drive through right here and it has the, the burger you like or the coffee you like. So therefore go there. Eh, okay. Maybe I'll do that because I chose not to say, no, I don't want that or it's not healthy for me. That's the part where the human element comes into play. Yeah, I think that there's, uh, I mean, it's a completely, you know, different topic you know, to expand on, you know, you know, ethical AI and and how to build things out. And, and it's it's funny, I mean, you have in the, that's out in the mainstream. And again, famously, I'll point to, you know, when Microsoft launched their AI and how quickly it picked up from all the negative vibes out in social and uh, it, it just, it went south. It was not a good thing. And, and Google and Facebook have had similar problems yeah. around that. But I think that there's so much opportunity in the automation of the things. It, it, it's, if it helps us to better uh, capture and, uh, uh, and, and interpret the sensory information and expand what can be doing, like you're saying, it's, it's the, not just the visuals, it's not just the scripts that it's running through, but it's picking up based on uh, scent uh, or, or taste. It's, you know, changes in, you know, the molecules floating around the air, around things. And, and, but getting more sensory information in, then being able to make decisions, you have then practical application like the demand planning. And this is where, you know, going back to my edge device story, that's what we were building was a system by which it became, it was still very human centered, but a way that we could, as we're building a product, whatever it is, we're building, you know, a, a computer mouse and it's being manufactured. Well, there's all of the plastics, the materials that go into, there's the construction of it itself. There's the raw materials to be able to go in there and say, well, if we make a design change to that mouse, which decreases the volume the, the amount of raw materials but the thinner materials will it be compliant will it meet the standards do we need to change the element well if we make then that design change which impacts potentially our raw materials could change up we've got to change out the machinery to go and build the system and like all those impacts you can better predict okay when will we actually have trucks on the road delivering this new product to stores around the world. So you can then go make design changes based on all those things. So similarly, like anything, whether it's a manufacturing process, whether it's you know information management, looking at a broader set of, of informations, of inputs into that, give us more opportunities to go and find ways that we can become more efficient, find ways that we can reduce costs, that we can streamline a production. And, and so that's, I mean, that's, I think the next big, where we're, you know, just scratching the surface today without having to think about, you know, AI taking over uh, humankind, becoming batteries, powering some software platform that's out there, which is all very exciting. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I, I'd love to be part of it, but towards the end. So if it turns out bad, I'm not here long, much longer anyway, but I'd still like to see it, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I think there's yeah. enough to, to go and do enough, uh, uh, you know, of, of valid today uh, solutions that can be developed, you know, based on what we understand it today without having to go sci-fi uh, into the future. You know, that, that, that's the point. And it's like any other technology, it, how it starts to evolve over time. And, um, you know, we've been very fortunate to be a part of a revolution that has changed the world dramatically um, through mobile devices, the introduction of the internet and the introduction of computing, you know? And, you know, I continue to tell stories to my kids about my life. And, you know, I didn't have a phone or I didn't have a, access to the internet. and you know, they, they, it's hard for them to grasp that. It's hard for them to understand. What do you mean? And um, yeah, I can only imagine what it's going to look like, you know, 30 to 50 years from now um, as compute becomes more powerful. But in the short term, what gets us excited is, again, um, I talked about vibration analysis earlier, but think about it this way. Will this impact your life? Yeah. When you're driving your vehicle and something, a light comes on to say, hey, there's, it recognizes a weird vibration. Yeah. Or it recognizes that there's some type of gas. Or what about walking into an office building where um, um, there's uh, the sign of the times, COVID detection on, on um, different devices as we walk by the wall because it's filtering in the air and it can recognize all this stuff. This is all feasible today. And, you know, we're, we have the technology to address all of this. And this is where we are focused on our time right now and, and addressing all that and making um, these types of applications beneficial for how we're living our lives. Well, for folks that want to learn a bit more or even get started, where, where do you point them uh, out on your website uh, for, for people that want to find out more to or possibly even kind of get started? Yeah, you know what I would recommend to do? First thing is go to our website at www.brainship.com. The other thing you can do uh, is go to as I, our YouTube channel where all of our content is, all of our media, and that's basically at Brainship Inc. and all one word. And between those two sites, uh, you can get lost in the amount of information we have and truly understand what we're doing within the, in the world of neuro, neuromorphic computing. And we're revolutionizing AI at a time when AI is just being introduced to the world. So uh, th these are exciting times. It's just starting, it's just getting started. But please go to our website or go to our YouTube channel and learn more about us. You can always contact us at sales at brainchip.com. And you can also, uh, at our website, you can join our newsletter. Um, there's, a, there's a little tab at the bottom that says, join our newsletter, learn more about us on a monthly basis. Well, Rob, really appreciate your time today, taking the time. And uh, I, I know you've got uh, some uh, vacation ahead, so uh, safe travels. Well, Christian, I really appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. And I really enjoyed this conversation. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening.
Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint, and I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.